Uh, amen. Let's, uh, if you have your Bibles tonight, we're in that fifth chapter of the, the, the epistle of Galatians. Uh, right there verse 22. Let me ask you a question. Some of you guys have walked to the Lord for a significant period of time. Some of you, um, you may feel like in regards to other people, it's insignificant. But do you remember when you first came to Christ? Remember what it was like, and you know, you, maybe you came out of a, a, a bad situation. But I don't, I don't think there's any good situation to come out of uh, as a lost person. But, but some people, maybe you, you had struggles, maybe you had difficulties. Uh, there's folks in here, obviously, that came out of addiction and, and, and lifestyles that were just really represented by a lot of bondage. And so every day was a struggle. You remember that? But man, aren't you glad that every day gets a little bit sweeter in Jesus? That it gets a little bit easier to serve Him. You ever think about it in those terms? That it's it's not tough. You know, I, I hear people say uh, frequently, man, serving God is a difficult thing. Well, i got news for you, folks. I've been doing it a long time. It gets sweeter and sweeter and easier every single day. Not serving God would be a very difficult thing. Why? Because it would be in such a conflict to who I am in Christ Jesus. And so when we first get saved, it's, it's such a, a foreign thing to obey God. But it's kind of like developing a habit over time. Man, guys, i got news for you. Serving Jesus does get sweeter and sweeter and easier. The longer, the longer that you stay in and you're willing to press in, uh, fight through battles and times of discouragement or whatever else. And uh, that's really what it's been talking about here in Galatians chapter uh, 5. And so if you're there, I'm going to read uh, tonight Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. It says this. It says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long stuff, not... Love, joy, peace, but love, joy, and peace. Long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, against such that there is no law. And if you folks will remember, uh, what was it, a couple weeks ago, we were really looking specifically at the subject of the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, that aspect of it. And, and you know, folks, you really got to see that portion of it. If you didn't, if you weren't here for that week, I encourage you to go online and, and find that one because that, that thing on love really kind of sets the tone for everything else. If you weren't here, if you weren't watching that night, go back a couple of weeks on a Wednesday night and find the teaching on the fruit of the Spirit in regards to love. Because what it really has to see, be seen at is really the prerequisite for all the other divine attributes that, that the Spirit of God has in life. So love sets the tone, love establishes the standard, love initiates proper motivation. And love is that initial, that what we've been calling that intrinsic characteristic that God extends to us. So that is the door that swings open for everything else. Yet you'll never know, and you've heard me say this before, Roy, you'll never know how to love like God loves unless you first know what God loves. Because people talk about God as love and that you, know, you need to be loving like God, but they just never know even how God loves. Loves. What is it that God loves? And so when I begin to walk in the fruit of the Spirit, it's not just I'm just loving it's in just a general sense. I'm just being a sweet person. But I, I can only love like God loves if I know what God loves. And it's not some, when we talked about this, it's not some emotionally based feelings. Because you said to yourself, man, I really love tacos. Or I really love going to the movies. Or I really love my new car. Well, you really don't love that. You're just, that's just something that it brings you a momentary pleasure as long as you're eating those tacos, or you're driving that new car, or you're seeing a bit. You see, you see, so that's not what I'm talking about with love. And so it's not some emotional-based feeling. It's not the good deeds or the good works or that one performs for God. It's like, well, I really love feeding the homeless. Well, 
No, you really don't. It just makes you feel good. It's just something it does for you. And it's not something even defined within the parameters of human relationships. It's got to be something bigger than that. Well, I just, I really love everyone. Well, you, you may have a filet or a brotherly type of love, but there's a deepness that comes in with the uh, attributes of love. And so it is the God quality, when we're talking about the, the biblical form of love, the spirit of the spirit, it's a God quality that does not exist apart from God. You hear me? It does not exist apart from God. And we brought up a couple of weeks ago, 1 John 4, 7 and 8, that love is of God and everyone that loveth is born of God. He that loveth not does not know God because God is love. Well, if you don't love, you don't know God. But if you don't know God, you really can't love. That doesn't mean that you can't be a person that's pleasant to be around, but you're never going to understand what it means to walk in love if you don't know God. So last week, we kind of progressed through this kind of systematic unveiling of those characteristics that confirmed our, 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 our validity of our walk, and we got to that subject of joy. And if you really remember that, uh, I'll give you kind of a definition uh, that because of the love of God, which is obviously revealed through the grace of God, or that which divinely influences and allows for the reflection of God to be restored in our lives uh, the way it looked prior to the fall of man, then now we can say that because of God's divine influence, that, that there's now a divine understanding that produces a divine action. And I'll say that again, I repeated it last week, that because of God's divine influence, the grace of God, the love of God, that there's now a divine understanding that produces a divine action. I just don't want to talk about love. What do I want to do? I want to actually do those things that God would describe and define as things of love. So the joy is the product of accessing the presence of God and realizing the strength or the ability to walk in freedom or victory that has come to them that place their faith in the finished work of the cross of Calvary. And so when I have the joy of the Lord, there's a strength that comes to me. You remember last week we talked about in His presence that there's fullness of joy. But who goes into His presence? Well, those with a clean heart and with, a, with, with clean hands and a, and a pure heart. But in the presence of God, there's a fullness of joy. And the joy of the Lord becomes our strength. It doesn't become our strength because we suddenly have big muscles like uh, Emerson or becomes our strength or something. That's not what it's talking about. The, the reason it's a strength is it gives us something stable to be built upon. And so when I have the, the joy of the Lord, I've got a divine perspective on things that I do not have apart from the joy of the Lord. Because you can have somebody, and we've known people in our life, I think about our dear friend, and every time we worship, I'm always reminded of our, our dear friend Sue Scott. And, and Sue was just precious, a, a worshiper from day one. This is one of the most encouraged, if you didn't know Sue, which uh, several of you guys do, the most encouraging person you're ever around. It's the person that, that walked through, walked by faith. Now, now Sue ended up with, with breast cancer and suffered for many years. But, you know, she would, she would be in, in, in such a dire physical situation that she would come to church and she would literally, she would, she would hoist herself behind the keyboard and play, but she didn't want to come out of the presence of the Lord, so she would find herself laying on a back pew. She didn't want to leave the sanctuary just so she could keep hearing the word, and she would do that. And even right to the point where, where she was going to go home to be the Lord, it, it wasn't a weakness that she saw. You know, I have a picture on my computer of her taking communion. And because it had ravaged her body, her skin was, 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 was as yellow as a banana. And, and Sue still, she had that, that communion cup in her hand. And she was still encouraging other people. She encouraged Melanie during the time. And just uh, was, 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 never the, was never representative of frailty or weakness. 
there was a joy and a strength that was in her. Why? Because she understood that it didn't come from the ravages of her body or the difficulty of her circumstances or all those things that she would think to herself, well, I'm going to miss somebody or somebody's going to miss me. There was a joy that, that followed her and a strength that just emitted from her in the midst of finding herself in the most dire situations. Folks, that's what the fruit of the Spirit of joy looks like. It doesn't look like somebody jumping up and clicking their heels when things happen right. It's in the midst of circumstances that are inexplicably difficult that you still maintain a consistency and you still maintain your testimony through every bit of it. That you're not going to do take the advice of Job's wife and say, why don't you just curse God and die? That there's no quit in you. Why? Because you have a divine perspective that was revealed to you through the presence of God. Folks, that's what the joy of the Lord looks like. And so it, it surpasses happiness because it's not... Uh, doesn't have as its source uh, things uh, uh, temporal, but rather it has the, 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 the eternal things that do not change as its source. So tonight, what we're going to do is we're going to kind of look at the next listed fruit of the Spirit, and that being the subject of peace. So the fruit of the Spirit is love, it's joy, and it's peace. Uh, you guys remember last week I mentioned that, and I, and I gave you just a, a, a string of, uh, of, of uh, uh, books of the Bible, the, the epistles, that, that mentioned something. I said, you know, what do all these things have in common? And somebody said, well, they mentioned Jesus and they had good news and all those things. And I said, well, you know, that's all true that they do that. But I said, all of those things uh, open with a salutation that contains some variation of this phrase. I gave it to you last week. This says, grace to you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. And so you'll see so many of these writers of the epistles, whether it was Paul the Apostle, uh, that's hard to say. The writers of the epistle, including Paul the Apostle or, or Peter, that, that, that opened up and they said, listen, grace to you and peace. It wasn't that cool thing that they did. Like, let me just kind of give somebody the peace sign when I greet them. There, there was something to that. Why? Because we're talking about men of God that experienced the presence of God like, like, like few at their time had ever experienced. In the, in the case of Peter, obviously, he was called out from the shipping boats. And, 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 and God raised him up, and, and he saw the mercy of Jesus, even in times of his difficulty. He was willing to get called out into the water, and even though he got wet, he still, he still walked on those things. He saw himself denying Christ three times, but he also found Christ drawing him to himself and, and bringing restoration to him. And so there was a revelation that he got when, 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 he, when he said, you know, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. He said, flesh and blood has not revealed this unto you, Simon Barjona, but your Father who is in heaven. So he had a connection, and that connection caused him to say grace and peace. Paul the Apostle had that experience, obviously, on the road to Damascus, a man that was a, a, a murderer. This guy was a fiend, and, and it was, was in, in pursuit of Christians to, to kill them. But something happened in his life that removed him from a place of just religious zealotry to a place of, of righteous fidelity, and he said, listen, brothers and sisters, let me tell you, it's about grace and peace. And so the grace of God, or the display of the God kind of love, I'll call it tonight, what it does, it brings a person to a place of strength, which we talked about joy, because it allows for a perspective that cannot exist apart from that which allows the genuine understanding of the fruit of the Spirit that, that produces life inside of every single one of us. And so what it does, grace goes on display, it draws us to a place of strength, which allows us to know exactly what peace is. 
But there's something, folks, that we've got to understand. And I think this is where you have a lot of people battling on, on, on a theological uh, basis. I have people all the time are, are sending me messages. Uh, are you a Calvinist? Are you an Arminian? And you've got to be in one of these camps. And I usually give them the same answer that I give everybody. Listen, man, every time I'm, I'm praying, I'm seeking God, man, he never brings up either one of those people to me. And so I'm not a Calvinist, I'm not an Arminian. Man, I'm just a follower of Jesus, and I just stay in his word. I'll let those guys who are now dead take care of their own business. But I think where the wheels fall off, even in those guys who were probably a lot more intelligent than I was, something happens. I think because what ends up happening is people begin to draw lines in the flesh, and they cease to be able to see and understand things, see things in the spirit. And evidently, you can look at the history of these guys, people like Calvin and, and his, his hatred of a, of, a, of a guy that opposed him named Servetus that ended up having him killed. And so I know this guy wouldn't walk into the fruit of the Spirit. You know, less is said about some of the things that, that uh, uh, Joseph Arminius went through, but, but he may not have been walking in the Spirit. I'm going to say these guys weren't great theological minds of their time, and they had a lot of information. But then the fruit of the Spirit is produces something. It produces something that's not saying, I want to be a, a, a Calvinist or an Arminian or, or a Troianian or something like that. What it does, the fruit of the Spirit is constantly po pointing people towards Jesus. And though he might give somebody an understanding, listen, I'm not going to allow something to be built upon the principles of, of my thoughts or my flesh or my understanding. Man, it's got to be something that's constantly pushing us to a deeper revelation of who Jesus Christ is. And so this is something that I think that we have got to get. And here it is. When God created man, he created man in his own image. Boom, 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 revelation. You're saying, well, that kind of goes without saying, doesn't it? Or, we get a little deeper for you. Or he created man as a reflection of his own nature. Boom, 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 Gideon. When God created man originally, he created them in his image. Or he created man as a reflection of his own nature, dot, dot, dot. As long as man was in right relationship with God, man was able to rightly reflect the character of God. Now here's the thing. Say, for instance, Gideon and I are working together, and we're spending time together all the time. And Gideon's saying, PT, what do you think? And I'm telling him, I'm saying, Gideon, what do you think? And Gideon's telling me. And, man, we're just walking in lockstep, man. Every place we go, we go together. Decisions that we do, man, we grab hands and we're praying together. Say, brother, what do you think about this? What do you think about this? Now, somebody walks up to me uh, uh, if we parted that afternoon and say, hey, what do you think Gideon thinks about such and such? Man, the chances are I'm going to be able to tell them probably nearly verbatim. Man, Gideon and I were talking about this. It's kind of like I ask people on the, on the streets. I'm always, I'm always in, in opening conversations with, with somebody right off the bat. What's the Lord Jesus been speaking to you lately? And most of the time, most of the time, they'll say, well, I'm a Christian, or I'm a Catholic, or I'm something. And I say, well, well I, I didn't ask you for your identification. I asked you about your conversation. What's he been speaking to you lately? Well, he's been speaking a lot of things. Well, man, this ought to be an easy conversation. And tell me just a, a few of those lots that he's been saying. Well, I don't know. Well, what do you mean you don't know? I thought he's been saying a lot of things. You can't remember one thing God spoke to you? I said, listen, my wife and I just drove down together to the French Quarter in my pickup, and I can tell you probably the exact conversation and spit it out that we had on the way. I can tell you what happened when I opened the door for her and we stepped into our place right here on Toulouse Street. I can tell you the conversation. Why? Because I spend time with her all the time, and I know those conversations. And I can probably give you some bullet points and some of the things we've discussed about certain things in the past week. 
Why? Because I'm, I'm in conversation, and you're telling me that you don't know what God has said to you? Well, the reason being is because I'm a reflection. We're a reflection of one another, whether it's my wife or whether my good buddy Gideon, as long as we're in relationship. But the second that relationship breaks, say, for instance, I left my wife, and you run into me two years later and say, hey, how's Melanie doing? All I can do is tell you how she was doing two years ago. I can't tell you how she's doing today. Why? Because I broke from relationship. And so what if two years ago she was all surprised and in the last two years she got hit by a car and got her legs broken? I wouldn't be able to tell you about that. Why? Because I don't have a point of reference. So folks, listen. When God created man, he created man in a point of reference to himself. There was a reflection. There was an ebb and flow. There was a conversation that was going past. And so when God opened his mouth and spoke, he spoke what God spoke. It's kind of like when Jesus came. He said, listen, when I speak to you, I don't speak to myself. I only say to you what? What the Father has said to me. When the Holy Spirit comes, what did he say? He will speak those things that the Father spoke to him. Why? Because God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost are just a reflection of one another. That's what they are. And so as long as we're in close fellowship, as long as we're looking into that mirror, the reflection of God, what do we do? We speak the way he spoke. We thought the way he, he thought. But when man fell through transgressing God's righteousness, he lost that place where he had the capacity to exhibit the divine qualities or attributes of God. God created man in his image. Man fell. He no longer had the capacity to reflect those things. And so... When we think about man falling through the act of sin, you know, folks, it's easy to think about the consequences of that. You know, one of the consequences was is that man was going to die. Isn't that what he, one of the problems he said? He said, in the day that you eat of the tree of, in the midst of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, what's going to happen? You're going to die. Now, man, uh, now uh, Adam lived over 900 years. 950, what was it, 952 years or something like that? So 900 plus years he lived. And so, when that word was spoken, obviously he was in his creative infancy. You know, however old physically he was. But I know from that point forward, it's 900 and something years. And he died. And folks, as you read through the Bible, all these great people, all these great kings, that it says that they died. And they went to rest. They slept with their fathers. It says over and over and over again. And they were buried in this sepulcher or whatever else. And so we, we know that one of the consequences of the fall was that man doesn't live forever. That's obvious, right? And also, when God created man, he said, I give you dominion over everything. I'm letting you, and Pastor Joe would mention this, man, God gave them dominion, and they're naming the fish and the squirrels and all this stuff. Can you imagine just trying to name all the cats that wander around some park? It'd be difficult. We'd have, we'd have Boots and Fluffy and, and Spunky or whatever. We'd run out of names. But he had the capacity, because he had the authority in God's original creation. And so he could tell that lion to sit down and shut up. You know what that lion was going to do? He was going to sit down and shut up. He could say, yo, Tantor, to a, to a pachyderm, and it would probably come right up to him. That's another name for an elephant. So he could do those things. But folks, we don't have that capacity. You start telling the lion to shut up, that lion's going to say, I'm not going to shut up, but I'm going to gobble you up. So he lost that authority that he had over those things. No, man no longer had that same intimate relationship with God that he could walk with God in the garden in the cool of the day. And so for now, for us, now we have, we have access, but you know what, man, it's, it's difficult. It's a work. We've got to get past those natural things. We've got to get out of the flesh and in the spirit to see that. 
And so man also no longer lives according to the righteous standards that God had for them. And so you see fallen man, that was all one of the, one of the things that happened with the, with, the, with the fall. And so all of those things that I mentioned, absolutely true. All consequences that were manifested as a result of man losing his capacity to, to, to inherently demonstrate the characters of God. But all of those things, as catastrophic as they were upon creation, there's one thing that we miss many times, and even in the debate with the Calvinists and the, and the Armenians, is that it's something that the fruit of the Spirit restores to us. Now listen, guys, I can walk in the fruit of the Spirit. I can. I can walk in the love, the joy, the peace, the long-suffering, the gentleness, goodness, uh, self-control, uh, those things that are not under the law. And i tell you what, I'm still going to die one day unless Jesus comes back. It's going to happen. I'm never going to restore that aspect of the relationship with God. I can do all of those things, and I'll tell you what, I'm not going to walk out into some jungle and jump on the back of a jaguar and say, giddy up, little kitty. Ain't going to happen. Somebody's going to say, brother, don't take the Lord because that, that, that little cat's going to eat you up. It's not going to happen. And I can say, but I can do it because the joy of the Lord is my strength. You say, well, you may be your strength, but he didn't give you good sense. I can do that. But you know what? I can walk in the presence of the joy of the, joy of the Lord, and, and, and I'm not going to be sitting here talking to God face to face like, like Adam did. I'm still going to have to seek Him. I'm going to have to pursue after Him. You hear what I'm saying? So there's, there's certain things that don't get restored, but there is something that the fruit of the Spirit restores into my life. You know what? I could ask you what that is, and you'd probably give me some pretty good answers. And You know, they wouldn't be wrong answers, but they... Probably wouldn't be the answer that I want to point you towards tonight in regards to what we're looking at and where we're headed. It's this thing called free will or the ability for self-determination. It's what it is. Of all the great things that the fruit of the Spirit has given to Troy Bond and to all of you that seek after the Lord is the ability to have free will back. Folks, you get in those theological debates, the Calvinists that say man doesn't have a free will. That, that man doesn't have it, that, 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 that man is, that, has, that there, there's, there's a predetermination. Jesus only died for those that are going to belong to him and everyone else. So it becomes a double predestination. Is what it is. So, some people are born to go to heaven, some people are born to go to hell. And so the whosoever wills, it's not really a whosoever will, it's just some they're going to, the rest, you know, they're just put here to take up space in the meantime. And all of those things, there's this... This, uh, this, this grace that you just can't get away from and you can't fall away and all these things that Calvinism says. And on the other side, uh, Arminianism, you know, they have their, their arguments and all of these things that man has and you have the people that, 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 that are Pelagist and all these other cool little names that are attached to people and, and they're talking about sinless perfection and all these things of that nature. Why don't you just come back to the fruit of the Spirit? Folks, listen, we know that the heart of a man is what? Deceitful, it's wicked, above all things. Who can know it? When man fell, his capacity to do right failed. And so man was created in God's image. So man was created with the capacity to choose both good and evil. He was not created with a predetermined or predestined, as the Calvinists would say, destiny in regards to choice, but he was rather given the capacity, the direction, and the consequences that would be associated with those choices. So God created man in his image. He said, listen, you can choose right or wrong. But here's what I'm telling you. 
I'm going to tell you, tell you, you have the capacity to do that. Why? Because I created you in perfection. I created you in reflection of me. But I'm also telling you, don't do something. I'm giving you a direction that's coupled with a consequence. If you do it, you're no longer going to reflect my character. That's what he told his children. Well, since I don't know what that looks like. Why? Because I have children. I have children. I've had to say, listen, dad loves you. Dad wants to be in a relationship with you. Dad wants to spend time with you. But here's what I'm telling you. You stop reflecting the values that, that I stand for, we no longer have a relationship. We don't have the capacity to do that anymore. There's, there's no ability for us to just go on and act like everything's okay. Why? Because there, 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 there's no similitude any longer. You, you may share a history with me or a past with me, but unless you repent, you don't share a future with me. And so that's what happened. Man lost that ability. So when he failed, he not only lost the power or the attribute of a, a physical uh, immortality and authority over the things that God created, but he is now relegated to think and make decisions based upon a nature that would be eroding piece by piece from the similitude of God at a breakneck speed uh, and, and taking on a nature, not of God, but of the prince of the power of the air, of Satan, who he listened to. Now, folks, think about this for a second. You can be around someone, just like talking about my conversation with Gideon, and, and for a while, if we break fellowship, I can still tell you what he thinks. Why? Because I've got enough history, and I've got enough familiarity with him. But the longer that breach happens, the less I know about him. Folks, I think about even with my own family. Mel and I uh, got married at 19 years old, a month after... Uh, we got married in November, nearly 31 years ago. My family moved away. Now, we saw them periodically, but it wasn't on a regular basis, once or twice a year for a week. But most of the time, they didn't know what was happening in our life. But it was interesting, every time they, 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 they showed up, they showed up in the past. Do you hear what I'm saying? They didn't show up who we were 10 years after the fact. They showed up who we were 10 years ago, when, when they had a lot of information to base the conversation on. And so all the conversations that we had was, hey, do you remember back when? I'm thinking to myself, no, I really don't. I chose not to remember that, that aspect of my life before I came to Christ. Or do you remember right there? And I'm like, don't you got any new material? And I remember telling one of my brothers that. I'm like, listen, man, you're talking about things that I did at 15 as though I did them at 30. You're sitting here laughing and said, oh, Troy did such and such. Yeah, I was in middle school, but you're, you're, you're bringing those things up as though I did those as a saved, married man with children serving Jesus. Don't you have any new material? No, he didn't have new material. Why? Because there was too much distance in the relationship. And folks, that's exactly what happened with Adam. For a while, he could remember and reflect certain of those characteristics. Mel and I was talking about people in the Bible that lived so long. So you got the, the Adams and you got the, 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 the Methuselahs. And you got these ones that lived hundreds and hundreds of years. But the longer there was a breach in that relationship, the closer we got to the cross and the further away we got from the garden, what happened? Well, 900 turned into 600, turned into 300, turned into 100. And now we tell people that Man, they're living the ripe old age of 80. Abraham and Sarah was even having babies at that age. Lord help us. But you see, something started eroding away. And even 
the, the great men that did miracles against nature. You think about the Moseses, the one that spoke to God face to face as a man spoke to his friend. The things that he did, the miracles that happened it, 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 as a result of that deliverance from Egypt. Now folks talk about those things and they, they fake that stuff. Why? Because there's been an eroding away over time from that place where we reflected who God was. But folks, that's what the fruit of the Spirit begins to bring back, that ability to know Him, to walk with Him, to see His presence in a way that we could never see before. So free will was lost, or the ability to choose righteousness. Genesis chapter 18, chapter verse 21 says this, God speaking, He said, I'm going to go down to see if their actions are altogether as wicked as I've heard. God, this is speaking to Solomon and Gomorrah. He said, I'm going to go down because I've heard, but I'm going to go down and I'm going to see, giving us a, a picture, if their actions and where they've gone, how far they've wandered from that place, are as wicked as it seems. So now rather than the image of God driving a man's decision to will, it's the God of this world. And so man lost the ability to choose righteousness, and now man can only choose evil. Genesis 6.5. It says, The Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth, and he saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. Folks, we're six chapters into the Bible, and rather than man being reflective of the character of God, six chapters into the Bible, and everything that man thinks is consistently and totally wicked. That's it. That shows you when you lose contact, when you, when you get out of God's presence, when you get out of prayer, when you get out of fellowship, when you get out of the Word of God, man, it didn't take a long time. It doesn't take weeks or, or years. Folks, sometimes it just takes a moment. It takes a moment of, of not having your heart focused upon Him or just allowing a circumstance just to distract you just for a second to let something else just have that little ability to come in and plant that seed in your mind. If you don't take that thought captive to obedience and punish previous disobedience with obedience, what happens? Man, that thought becomes something that you begin to dwell on. And when it conceives, it brings forth sin. And sin, when it matures produces the same death that produced in the garden 6,000 years ago. But then came grace. Everything consistently, everything they thought, totally wicked, then came grace, and we became saved by grace through faith, Ephesians 2 and 8, you know that. And so where man had lost the capacity to influence himself, through his own inherent ability to live righteously, God began to influence man through the God quality of love, and this serves as somewhat of an all-flash and revelation to a person of what Adam was able to experience prior to the fall. Folks, that's what grace does for us. Because grace allows even the unregenerate person, because of the mercy of God, to see for a minute what Adam saw. And you don't know how to describe it. Because it's something more, more felt. It's something uh, more intimate than something that you can see through ocular evidence. It's something more real than that. And so man lost sight, but what grace does, it gives us that all flash. It gives us that inherent quality once again 
to make a decision. I don't know why I can't. I, we call it conviction. We call it the drawing of the Holy Spirit. Well, what it is, it's the grace of God that gives us that ability real quick. It'd be like me saying, hey, listen, James, I've got a deal for you. Man, give me your paycheck next week, and I will give you whatever is underneath this box that I have on this table. You can say, well, what is it? I said, I can't tell you. That, then there wouldn't be any chance to it for you. But I'll tell you what I will do. I'll pick that box up. Take a good look. Focus your eyes. And I'll lift it up and put it right back down. Okay? And so, you're going to give me that paycheck for this week, that $5,000, and I'm going to give you... Everybody on the line is going to think, man, that boy makes some good money. I'm going to lift it up and I'm going to show you. If I lift that up and you see the biggest diamond that you've ever seen in your life, you know what? You're probably going to say, and that's got to be worth more than my $5,000 I made this week. But if I pick it up real quick and put it down and all you see is a little copper penny, you're probably going to say to yourself, just keep the box. I'm keeping my money. Folks, that's what the off-flash of grace does when it comes into a person's life. It lifts it up. It is not a valueless penny underneath. We get just a glimpse and we know immediately what that is. We recognize it. I could fold up a $100 bill and cover up the numbers and just show you the, the, the person on the front. I almost said the president on the front. There's not a president on a $100 bill. It's uh, Benjamin Franklin. Or I could put a dollar bill down and it wouldn't take you long to tell me which one it was because you know the difference between Benjamin Franklin and George Washington. Folks, that's what grace did for us. It caused a flash and we said, man, I didn't see the numbers, but I recognized the value. So when God's mercy comes upon us through the grace and the testimony, it momentarily removes that veil from our eyes and it lets us see things from the right perspective, which draws us to a place. And so it produces conviction through revelation that brings repentance, that manifests faith, and ultimately it brings about that transformation in our life that changes who we are. All just because of an all flash. Folks, listen, when I came to Christ, it, it wasn't because I was on my bed one night and all of a sudden this, 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 this light came out through the window and this, this, this spirit-like figure stood before me. It says, Troy, Troy, why do you persecute me? It didn't happen like that. It wasn't some angelic visitation like some people say. Well, I would serve God if God would only just come and, and, and show himself to me. Well, no, you wouldn't. You'd probably fall over like a dead man because your sin came in contact with the righteousness of God. Folks, it wasn't like that. It was just, he just gave me a peek. And you know what? A peek was enough. I think about what Moses said in the book of the Exodus. What's the 36th chapter? He said, ask me anything that you want. And he said, show me your glory. God in his great mercy is like, Moses, I love you and all. We're close. But if I did that, there wouldn't be anything left of you. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to hide you in the cleft of the rock. And I'm going to pass by. And when I pass by, I put my hand over. You're just going to see my hinder parts. You're just going to see a flash of me. That's what you're going to get. Because that's, what you, that's all you have the capacity for right now. As great as it is, that's all you have the capacity for. But what is it, the 17th chapter of the book of Matthew? When Jesus went up to the Mount of Transfiguration... Peter, James, and John came, and they got to see Jesus along with Moses and Elijah. Folks, what allows the fullness of that manifestation is Jesus. 
And so Jesus came and he said, listen, Moses, you get to see what you asked for those 3,000 years ago. But the only way you're going to see that is with Jesus present. The lamb is going to be slain before the foundations of the world. And so the fullness of God's grace and the fullness of God's mercy is only manifested itself when Jesus is present in our life. And so grace influences, that's love, brings about a strength to believe God beyond circumstances, that's joy, so that we can walk in righteousness, and that's what peace is, folks. And so we talk about the peace of God. What we're talking about is the ability to walk in righteousness. Romans 5.1 says this. It says, therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. You know that verse, right? Well, this is the peace that it's talking about. Well, because we're justified by faith. And so that's the peace, uh, not the peace that's right here in Galatians 5.22. That's the peace of God in Romans is a peace that all believers get at the point of salvation. It's a, just another word for justification or being made in right standing with God through Christ Jesus. And so, but the fruit of the spirit of peace is one that relates to the issue of not justification, but the issue of sanctification. So the fruit of the spirit in our life is not what brings justification, it's what brings sanctification or it's sanctifying peace that produces, you got to hear this, the capacity to have the mind of God. And having the mind of God is the only way that a person can stay in the will of God. So if I've got the peace of God, now I have the capacity to have the mind of God. And having the mind of God is the only way I can stand in the will of God. And so if I've got a person that said, listen... Man, I don't know what God's will is. I said, well, you only got a problem. you got a problem. And the problem is you don't have the mind of Christ. Because if you have the mind of God, you're never struggling to know what the will of God is. Why? Because it's the mind of Christ that allows you to know the will of the Christ who died to save you. Philippians 4, 7 puts it this way. And it says, the peace of God that surpasses every thought or all understanding will guard your heart and your mind's in Jesus Christ. Philippians 4, 7. And so this is the peace of God that once again allows Jesus, or allows us, to have a peace of God. And so if I've got that, 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 that type of peace, then I've got a peace of God in my life. And so the peace transcends our limited and finite ability to, to, to know or to understand. And this peace, it said it guards both our minds, which is revelation, and our hearts, which is motivation. And so if I know the will of God, it's always going to guard or it's always going to protect or influence my revelation. And so when I know Him, everything that He reveals is going to be consistent with His character. And so if I know Him and I know His will, everything that I do is going to be consistent with His character. And so if a person says, listen, I, I, I'm just walking in the peace of the Lord, but they're not walking in the character of the Lord, it's something else. If they're saying, I'm walking in the peace of the Lord, but they don't even know how God thinks, and they're not thinking uh, uh, under that type of influence, that, that type of in, inherent ability or capacity, I'm telling them they're not really walking in the peace of God. Flip back to Philippians chapter 2. It says, if therefore there be any consolation in Christ, now look at this unfolding, what Philippians says, if any comfort in love, if any fellowship in the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, Fulfill my joy. 
So the fruit of the Spirit is love, Philippians 1. Fulfill my joy, Philippians 2, 2. That you be like-minded, having the same love, and being of one accord and of one mind, the peace of God. Let this mind, verse 5, be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, and down to 13. For it's God that works in you both to will and to do His good pleasure. So the fruit of the Spirit of peace is allows us to know and to do God's will. So the fruit of the Spirit wasn't just some great revelation that Paul, the Apostle, brought in the 22nd uh, 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 verse of chapter 5. Well, he was laying that stuff down to the Philippian church. Listen, if there's a consolation in Christ, let that love comfort you. Let it influence you. Then you're going to see the fulfillment of that strength and that joy, which is going to give you the capacity to have the mind of Christ so you can walk in the will of God. 1 Thessalonians 4.3 for this is the will of God, even your sanctification, even sanctifying peace. And folks, listen, man, I can know God's grace, and I can have strength, but it is so dissatisfying in a person's life not to know that you're smack dab in the middle of God's will. Now, folks, when I'm talking about God's will, I'm not saying that somebody's going to hand you a paper and say, Tell me your five-year plan for ministry. Folks, that's not what the will of God is. Trust me, I'm a guy that's been in the ministry all of my adult life. That's, that's really all I know anymore is, is that aspect of it. But here's what I'm telling you. The will of God is not defined by what you do. It's not, it's not defined by, you know, what's God's will for your life, James? Well, God wants me to be a pastor. God wants me to be... But that's not what I ask you. What's, what's the mind of God for James. Because when the will of God is revealed in a person's life, the will of God for you doesn't end when you stop breathing. Do you hear me? The will of God doesn't. The will of God is your sanctification. The will of God says to you, if I know the will of God, that means whatever I'm doing, wherever I'm standing, I am consistently walking in a reflection of the character of Christ. I can do that behind a pulpit. I can do that behind a plow. I can do that in the flesh. I can do that in the spirit. So the will of God is not a position. It's not these things that you, you measure against the accomplishments of someone else. The will of God for our life and the peace of God that passes understanding. If you were a pastor or a preacher or an evangelist or a school teacher or a baker, that's comprehensible. Oh, I know what you're doing. You went to school. You got your degree. You're doing those things. You've got training or a, an opportunity opened up for you. But the peace of God that passes comprehension is a peace that far transcends the limited nature of our intellect. And it says, listen, I know I'm in the will of God. Why? Because I'm always in a position to reflect the character of God in my life. Folks, that ought to take a lot of pressure off of you. As far as, okay, I need to know if I'm in the will of God by base, based upon what I'm doing. No, I need to know that I'm in the will of God to know who I'm reflecting. How do you know if you're in the will of God? Well, because there's an assurance. There's a relationship. Because I know there's something inside of me that's constantly being built up. It's being strengthened. It's something inside of me that he's able to guard my motivation. And he gives, he's able to guard my, my revelation of himself. Romans 12, 2 should mean a little bit more to you then. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. 
so you can prove or you can manifest what is the good and the acceptable and perfect will of God. Well, let me say this. I hear people all the time say, well, I just feel peace about something. You ever hear that? Man, why are you doing that? Well, I just feel peace about it. Well, brother, that just looks like rebellion from where I'm standing, but I feel peace about it. Well, it's clear that they're not walking in the will of God. Or, I'll put it this way, you will never truly have the peace of God apart from walking in the will of God. You're never going to know the peace of God unless you're walking in the will of God, which means you have the mind of God. The peace of God is not designed to allow us to feel okay about walking in self-will, but rather to give us the, the confidence to know God's will for our lives, even during times or circumstances that are anything but peaceful, that are anything but easy, or anything but natural, or anything that are convenient. Folks, that's what the peace of God looks like. It means that I am in lockstep with Him. It means I'm reflecting His character. It means that He is demonstrating who He is with me, regardless of what things look like in the natural realm. Then I know I'm in the peace of God. Then I know I'm in the will of God. Why? Because I have the mind of God. The peace of God is knowing what the heart and mind of God's uh, of God is, it's the divine confidence that's been produced through a divine encounter. That's what the peace of God is. I have a divine confidence because I had a divine encounter. Isaiah chapter 26 verse, uh, 26 verse 3 says this, You will keep him in perfect peace. What? Do you remember the verse? Whose mind is stayed upon thee because he trusts in you. Another translation says, whose thoughts are in continuous agreement with God's thoughts. He will keep them in perfect peace, those whose thoughts are in continuous agreement with God's thoughts. How do you keep yourself in agreement with God's thoughts? Well, A, you have to walk in a, in a heart of repentance because it's that goodness of God, it's that grace of God which is good, it's that joy that's good. It's that peace that's good. So the goodness of God always brings me to a place of thinking differently. That's how I get the mind of God. My thoughts are in agreement with Him. And I spend time with Him. Just like I spend, spend time with Gideon or spend time with my, my wife. I'm going to be in perfect peace. So if somebody comes and says, man, that Gideon doesn't like you. I'm like, really? Yeah, he's mad at you. Ain't no way I just saw him 30 seconds ago. I mean, every time Gideon and I are together, man, it's just like peanut butter and jelly. So I know that's not it. So I have a piece. You're not, you're not going to get in between. What is it? A little bit nutty. And yeah, that's it. A little bit sticky. Amen. But you know that. Why? Because we spent the time together. So there's nothing that's going to converge upon that relationship and bring discord or division. Why? Because we're there. And so I'm spending time in prayer, but I'm always spending, also spending time in God's Word. And so the more time I spend in God's Word... Man, the more I know God's voice. Why? Because His Word, His voice is always going to be consistent with His Word. And so the more you stay in the Word, you hide the Word in your heart, you don't sin against Him. In other words, you don't put space between you. Isaiah 59, 2. Sin has separated you from God. Well, the thing that separates you from sin is God's Word, is what David said. I put that Word in my heart. I don't sin against Him. If there's no breach in the relationship, then I can walk in the peace of God. So here's the challenge for you guys, and here's the challenge for you. If you're not walking in the peace of God, well, I know why. 
there's a breach. You're only going to walk in a level of peace that there's a level of passion for him. And so if I'm passionate about him and his presence and I'm there, then what's going to happen is, man, I'm reflecting his character and it really doesn't matter what I see on the outside. Man, there's just a stability. Why? Because I've got a different vantage point than I would in the flesh. And I know, listen, yeah, he does cause all things to work together for the good of those that love him. They're called according to his purpose. So what's God's purpose? Well, that's easy. Why? Because God has my ear, and he speaks to me, so nothing catches me off guard. God does nothing except he first reveal it, what? To his prophets, to those that are willing to listen and to be his mouthpiece. Folks, listen, it's not enough to talk about peace and the warm fuzzies. Man, peace is your sanctification. Being set apart for his service, being set apart for that relationship. Get in the Word, get before God, keep a heart of repentance, keep a heart of prayer, and you're going to know what the peace of God that passes comprehension or understanding really looks like. Amen? Father, we just thank you, Lord God. Father, we thank you that, that through Jesus Christ, Lord God, even as Ezekiel said, that you look for one to stand in the gap and found none. But Father, I thank you, Lord God, that one came, that one, Lord God, that stood between the prophets, Lord God, on the Mount of Transfiguration. He's come. He's come into our hearts and lives, Lord God. Father, even as your word tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Lord God, it says, For who has known the mind of God that we can instruct him? But it says, You have known or you have the mind of Christ. And so, Father, we thank you, Lord God, that we have the mind of Christ through faith in your Son Jesus, being drawn into his presence by his grace, receiving that all flesh of your glory, Lord God, just enough, Lord God, to bring us to a place of repentance for dead works and faith towards God and the finished work of the cross of Calvary. Lord God, just cause that to deepen, cause that revelation to be great, Lord God. Keep our hearts guarded, our motivation guarded, our minds guarded, Lord God, our revelation guarded. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Father, we thank you for our offering tonight, Lord God. Bless our giving, Lord God. Bless the give. In Jesus' name, amen.